Let's open our Bibles tonight to Second uh, Kings chapter 24. We're getting toward the end of Second Kings. We're getting to the very end of Second Kings. And you remember the last couple of weeks, uh, the, the last couple times we've been in Second uh, Kings, uh, we've been looking at the life of Josiah, the, one of Israel's finest kings, uh, perhaps next to David. You know, David and Josiah, I think of Hezekiah just being really amazing kings, certainly Solomon in the first part of his, his reign. But Josiah was just one of those men that the, it, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot that he did wrong. He made some, uh, a bad decision toward the end of his life, and it actually prematurely ended his life. But up to that point, uh, God was very well pleased with this man. And as I begin reading this uh, chapter this week, it really uh, brought something to my memory. And that is, you know, we're really looking at after Josiah had passed away, God gave Judah and Jerusalem about 22 years. Remember, Josiah was this great reformer king, and he was really undoing a lot of the idolatry and a lot of the uh, pagan practices that Judah and Jerusalem had adopted, and, and God was going to bring judgment upon them, and, and he wasn't going to withhold it. But God told Josiah that through the prophet Huldah, the, a prophetess actually, he told, her, told Josiah through her, that, God was, that, that judgment was coming and there was no way to avert it. However, God would not cause it to come to pass during Josiah's reign. And Josiah reigned for, I believe it was like 31 years. And so he had a great and long and wonderful reign. And I can imagine just the, uh, how Jerusalem was at that time. Uh, the Bible tells us that at that time, after they had cleaned up the house of the Lord and the temple and they rooted out all of the all of the junk that was in the temple from the idolatrous worship, as soon as they got rid of all the high places and the, and the detestable things that were going on, once God cleaned house uh, through Josiah, they had a Passover that was, the Bible says, it was unlike any other Passover. There was not one like it, and there, wasn't, there wouldn't be one after it like that. It was just so amazing. And so Josiah was this reformer king, and uh, but after him, and we're going to see this tonight as we look through the life of his son, Jehoiahaz, down through his other son, Zedekiah, uh, that God would give them about 22 years after Josiah had passed from the scene. And it wasn't a 22 years that was good either. It was a time of uh, slow, steady decline into the pit. And then finally, God was just going to be done with Jerusalem uh, for a season, and, and we have to remember that, that God, even though he does bring judgment, um, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And, and God had foretold that, yes, he would allow his people to be taken into captivity, but yes, he would bring them back. And I think there's something there for us to hang on to because, you know, maybe you're going through something difficult and, um, and maybe it's a, a trial that's really difficult for you. Maybe it's painful. Maybe it's financially painful, maybe it's spiritually or emotionally difficult for you, and yet God, in allowing these things in our life, he's not doing it to punish us or to, or to, um, to do something to get us to be destroyed. No, it's rather the opposite, because when God does these things in the life of a believer or his people, he's doing it to chasten them. And remember, chastening is always with the idea of instruction to turn, and there's a difference, isn't there? Because when somebody is destroyed for their, for their sin, that, that's a judgment, right? Um, but God, when he allows these things in the life of his people, he always has a plan. And yes, some of them may be destroyed. Some of them may be going through very difficult things, as you and I can go through difficult things. But his end is always to draw us back to himself. It's, it's conviction, and it's, it's, it's not con condemnation. Condemnation is just basically you've done something wrong. I push you away. I never, ever want to see you again. That's condemnation. But conviction is... Yes, you have done something wrong. You're going to have to go through some uh, things to learn a lesson here. But I want to tell you that at the end, I'm going to be with you through it. 
you've made this circumstance that you're in, but I'm going to love you through it, and I'm going to see you through the end of it, and I'm going to restore and renew you if you're willing. And see, that's God's heart. And that's his heart toward his people. And as I've been reading this chapter over uh, Jehoiahaz and Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, and I thought about those 20 years that God is going to give them. Because, I mean, think about it. After Josiah died, God could have just wrapped it up right then and caused the Babylonians to come in and invade and be done with it. Because did God know what was going to happen for the next 22 years? He did. He knew because he's almighty God. He knew. But he gave them another chance. And in that 22 years, they just continually slumped toward the base things. And they continued back into their idolatry. All the stuff that Josiah had done, was it seemed like it was for nothing. And Judah and Jerusalem just plunged to the depths again. And it didn't surprise God. And he would punish them for it. But he would do it with the intention. And, all, and even the scriptures foretold that he would bring them back to their land again. If they would return to him. If, they would, if my people who, uh, who are called by my name, if they, if they, see, if they repent of their sin and, and, and turn their face toward me, then I will heal their prayer and I'll heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 But again, as I've been thinking about those 20 years that God had given Jerusalem and Judah... I began to think about our nation. Think, think back 20, 20, 22 years from this moment. Where were you? What were you doing? And that is the amount of time, the amount of grace that God gave them after Josiah had passed from the scene. And that may seem like a long time, and 20 years is quite a bit of time. And he gave them that space to turn, but they didn't. And you know, I wonder... As God gave them that space to repent, I, I thought about our own country. I thought about America, and I thought about where we began as a country, and I, and I thought about where, how far we've come in 250 years, or whatever that time frame is, roughly that time frame. You know, what God has done in America, and, and the great things that have happened in America, and yet now we are seeing our culture and our society just coming unraveled. And I'm not saying that God is blaming the church for those things, but I will say that it, it, it's a good opportunity for us, the church, not only our fellowship here, but all over our country. It's really good for us to examine ourselves and say, Lord, what, what do you want to do? How do you want to change us in this time? And, and not to make anybody feel condemned here or anything like that, but, you know, God always spoke to his, his people. You notice he, he didn't really speak to the nation so much, but he did speak to his people about their, the way they ought to live. And there would be blessings and cursings based on those things, based on obedience. Now, we don't live under the law, but we live under grace, but that doesn't mean we throw away the things that we know we ought to do that are good. No, they're, they're supposed to teach us something, but we, we do walk in grace now through faith in Jesus Christ. But I, I wanted to read something to you before we get on here because uh, I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy in just a minute, but in Exodus 34, verse 4, remember uh, just prior to this, the children of Israel, had uh, they were there at the Mount Sinai. They were around the bottom of it. Remember, God called Moses up to the top of Mount Horeb. And as he was there, they began to make a, a golden calf. And remember that whole thing. And they, they were worshiping it. And then Moses comes down from the mountain with two tables of stone writ with the law of God written on them. And so he comes down. He sees these things. He breaks the, stone, the two, two stone tablets. And then God, at a second time, and we read about it in chapter 34 of Exodus, that God uh, asked Moses to hew out two more tables of stone. He goes up and to the mountain, it says in verse 4, He hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. 
And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord is physically, evidently present. A presence of God, probably an incarnate uh, representation, an incarnate uh, uh, of Jesus Christ, perhaps, a pre-incarnate vision of him. And notice what he proclaimed. The Lord proclaimed about himself. And the Lord passed by him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Ouch! I liked everything up to that point. You know, gracious and long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, <clears throat> and, then, and by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. And another scripture tells us, uh, unto those who hate me. Okay, so it's not, he's not going to punish one person's sin uh, upon another, but uh, of those generations that hate him, that he will bring their iniquity upon them. And I was thinking of that and just thinking of how, how God is so good, even in his judgment, even in his chastening. And certainly he was going to bring Israel, as we're seeing, right to the end. And, and yet, let's not forget, you know, as we read these things and we see the decline and the... the just the, the, the dismantling of, of the nation, and it just goes down into a ball of fire before God calls in the Babylonians. It's a really discouraging time for them. And I liken what we're going through in our country very similar to that. I don't know where we are at, where we are at in, the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things about what, what, what God is going to do or what he's doing but I will say this, and, and, and I hope you can come away from it with this. Don't give up. Don't give up on the United States. Don't give up on your country, and also don't give up on the Lord. As Christians, let's not throw in the towel and think, well, this is it, you know, the God has told us that these things are coming here, we can see these things starting to come to pass. Well, we might have, ah, we, you know, and then you're just kind of like, well, why don't we just lay down and die and, and get this thing on, you know, but uh, I, I don't think that's the way we need to be. I think we should be shining brighter right now, and I don't know, I, I pray that God would move in a really wonderful way in our country once again before he removes the church, even in our darkest hour, and our darkest hour may be ahead of us yet, I don't know, but I pray that God would do something really awesome, but it's got to start with the church. It can't start with anybody outside the church. It has to start here. It has to start with us. And so I want to encourage you just to draw close to God. Really get serious with him. Put away the sins that you know that you're doing that aren't right and those things that, um, and, and stop making excuses for I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. You know, let's get after it. Let's, let's get motivated in, in Christ. Not out of some legal obligation, no, but do everything out of a love for him. And Lord, may your love not wane in me. And Lord, may your love and your light that you're shining in the church, may it not be snuffed out, Lord. Would you please shine your light upon us tonight and the, the entire church here and all over our country, Lord, would you do that work and just reignite us again and fill us with your spirit? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we looked at 2 Kings 23 last week, if you remember, Josiah now, he restores the true worship of God and he rids Jerusalem, like I shared before, of its idolatry, its idolatrous practices. He reinstitutes the Passover, and it was the greatest Passover that they'd ever had. And God promised that his judgment would come against Israel. Um, and he, he spoke uh, a really wonderful word to uh, Josiah through the prophetess uh, Huldah. And um, we know that it was around uh, just prior to this 
in 612 BC, the Neo-Babylonians, uh, meaning the, the Chaldeans, Babylon and the Medes, they, uh, that empire conquered Nineveh. The, the empire of Assyria was slowly declining, but now this Neo-Babylonian uh, influence and this, this empire was on the rise, and it, w- it was soon to be the world empire. And the, the Assyrian Empire was starting to wane. And so finally in 612 B.C., the uh, Neo-Babylonians, the, Chaldon- or the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Medes, they came against uh, the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, and destroyed it. And then from many from Assyria then, they fled to, from Nineveh westward uh, to Carchemish, which is in the very north of Israel, right around the uh, Euphrates River, and there was a battle there with uh, the Babylonians who had s- sought to come and, 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 and have this battle at Carchemish, finishing off certainly perhaps those Assyrian uh, people who had fled from Nineveh and also engaging Egypt at the same time. And as a result of this war in 612, uh, Babylon would rise as the greatest empire in the world at this time. And Pharaoh Necho, remember in chapter 23, went out to battle to aid the Assyrians against this greater foe that all of them had, and that was Babylon. So Egypt comes up from the, from the south, and they join the Assyrians fighting against the Babylonians. And while that is happening, um, uh, Josiah and his army go out to meet Pharaoh Necho right around the area of Megiddo in Israel. And they have a battle there, and Pharaoh Necho wanted uh, Josiah and his army to stand back. He says, this fight is not for you. Just, just get out of the way and let me do what I got to do. But he didn't listen, you remember, and then he came against uh, Pharaoh Necho, and ultimately he got killed in the process. And uh, verses 28 through 30 in chapter 23 tell us about how Josiah died in battle at Megiddo, and um, and Josiah's son, uh, Jehoiahaz, then becomes king. And um, so let's look at verse uh, 31 in, in 2 Kings chapter 23. I said we're going to start in 24, but we're just going to back up just a little bit. So notice in verse 31 of 2 Kings 23, it says, So now that Josiah has passed from the scene, it says, uh, Josiah was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Humutel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Now, this is not Jeremiah the prophet. This is a different Jeremiah. And notice, concerning Jehoiahaz, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Certainly not Josiah, but the fathers that prior to that, um, people like um, you know, Ahaz and his forefathers who were evil, uh, he, he did all those things, just like his forefathers. And now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So, um, And remember, it was just not too long before Josiah was meddling in Pharaoh Necho's battle against Babylon. Just after he died, three months later, they put... Josiah's son, Jehoiahaz, on the throne, but now Pharaoh Necho gets a hold of him and puts him in prison at Riblah. Now, Riblah is uh, north of Damascus. Uh, I forget how many miles, probably at least 50 miles uh, north of Damascus. So it's right along there in modern-day Lebanon, Syria, probably more like Syria. Uh, Modern-day is where this place was. And then um, in verse 34, it says, Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, uh, the son of Josiah, king in, his, uh, in place of his father, Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoiahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. <laughs> and so Jehoiakim reigned from 609 B.C. to 598 B.C., a total of 11 years. And it tells us, uh, you don't have to go there, but in your Bible, if it doesn't already have a reference to this, maybe write it down. We're going to look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter uh, 30, uh, uh, 
Second Chronicles chapter 36, I believe it is. <laughs> and it says, so Jehoi- Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh because Pharaoh had put a, a levy on, on the state of Israel, or on, the, on Judah. But he taxed the land to give money according to the, land, the command of Pharaoh, and he exacted the silver and the gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, and gave it to Pharaoh Necho. Now Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zebudah, uh, the daughter of Pedaiah of Rumah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty horrible thing. He, he didn't learn anything. <laughs> so Jehoiahaz, three months, and now uh, Josiah's other son, Jehoiakim, comes into power uh, for 11 years. So let's begin now at 2 Kings 24 in the very first verse. And so it says, in his days, and when he says in his days, he's referring to Jeho- Jehoiakim's days. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. So he served the king of Babylon for three years and then he returned, notice, then he turned and rebelled against him. So for a while, Jehoiakim was willing to be a vassal Uh, to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, but then he rebelled against him. And it's around this time, I'd like to read to you uh, something uh, concerning Daniel, because it was around this time that Daniel, that when Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem, that he took some of the people captive, and Daniel and his three fellows were among that group. Notice with me in Daniel chapter 1. I'll just read it to you. You can write down the reference, but I'm just looking at Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 here. Uh, It says, in the third year, again, Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, which is what we're talking about now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar, which is where uh, Babylon would be located in the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, Gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their Hebrew names. So it was during that time when Nebuchadnezzar came around 605, 606 BC, somewhere in that time frame, that he put a siege against Jerusalem and also grabbed some of the very best out of Jerusalem with the intention of bringing them back to Babylon to do exactly what he said, to brainwash them, to teach them, and to have them, these smart young men, in the prime of their life, serve the king of Babylon. And think about it, what a great idea. They would be provided for, they wouldn't wouldn't die, they would actually be kept very well. They would have a nice place to stay, I'm sure. But they'd be taught the finest, they would eat the best. (laughs) If they so chose, they could could have all those things, knowing that they're going to serve the king of Babylon so back in verse 2, so I just wanted to give you that picture because all the, it was during that time frame that this is all happening. So verse 2, back in 2 Kings 24, so the Lord sent against him, sent against Jehoiakim, raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it according, notice this, to the word of the Lord which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Now, you might want to write a couple of scripture references down. I'm going to read them to you, but write them down next to this passage because you may be wondering, well, what, which word of the Lord, 
what is he, the word that God had spoken, what exactly was that? Where was that? Well, write these two references down. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. So again, 2 Kings 20, 16 through 18. And let me read that one to you, and then I'll read you another one. You can, re- you can write it down in just a moment. So 2 Kings 20, beginning in verse 16. This is Isaiah prophesying during the days of Hezekiah, who was uh, Jehoiakim's forefather. Okay, So we're going back in time now when uh, Hezekiah was king and Isaiah the prophet was prophesying. And so this is what Isaiah said to Hezekiah. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. So do you see what God is doing here? He's he's already told them in advance what is going to happen if they don't turn from their sin. And he knew they weren't going to turn, but he gave them opportunity to turn. But he tells Isaiah to tell Hezekiah, the days are coming that all in your house, all that your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you. Who is he speaking of? Certainly he's speaking of Daniel and these three young, uh, his three young friends and many others, by the way. So God already said that that was going to happen, and it did happen. It happened during Jehoiakim's reign. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Can you imagine that news? Hearing about that, going back. I mean, that'd be like his great-great-great-grandfather now. And then write this reference down to 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 11 through 15. We don't know who the prophet was that spoke this, but it was spoken by one of the prophets, and this was the message. 2 Kings 21, verses 11. It says, Because Manasseh, and obviously during Manasseh's reign, going going back in time, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. That's just a, a way of saying you're not going to like what you're going to hear. It's going to be unbelievable to you. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I, God says, will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies." Now, if we just left it there, we would think it's a pretty dismal thing, but we know from other passages that God says, I'm going to bring them back. And so we can't hang everything on this one statement that God has said because he had said other things about him bringing them and restoring them to the land. Do you follow? And I think that's important to remember. That's why you've got to pre- compare Scripture with Scripture. You've got to do some homework. You've got to do, so, do some due diligence. And that's what's so beautiful about Bible study is you can find out these things. And it really gives you a better understanding of the character and the nature of God. And that's really important because if you don't understand the nature and the character of God, you're going to think that he's just out there to smash you like a bug. But that's not the case. Yes, he's going to allow them to go through some very deep waters and horrible things, but he's going to bring them on the other side of it. And he would restore them to their land. Uh, 1948, May 14th, 1948. The miracle of miracles happened. After being exiled and out of their land for nearly you know, 2,000 years, God brings them back. They still have their language, everything. Amazing. That's never happened to any other people group in the world. And God did that. He was faithful to his promise. But going back in 2 Kings 24, now back in our text in verse 3, notice what it says. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done. And also because of the sins, uh, and also because of the innocent blood that had been shed, for he had filled, again, speaking of Manasseh, he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood which the Lord would not pardon. 
Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of Kings in Judah? Well, yes, they are. And we're going to read it right now. <laughs> so turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 36. We're just going to look at... Um, you can either uh, write that reference down or I can just read it to you. Second Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 5. And, and this just gives us a little more information about what is happening to Jehoi Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, his name is also, he's also named Eliakim. Okay, so if you see other scriptures that's talking about Eliakim, it's speaking of Jehoiakim. The, the names are synonymous. And so in 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 5, it says this. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. And notice, he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. We know that. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as God. And notice, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him, bound him in bronze fetters, in other words, bronze chains, to carry him off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles from the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did, and what was found uh, against him, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. We just read that, didn't we? So now you got the whole entire record. <laughs> and then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Now, before we go on to Jehoiachin, um, I want to read something to you out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah recorded this concerning this king, Jehoiakim. Jeremiah 22, beginning in verse 18, it says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, Quote, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah just prophesying of the, um, the horrible way in which he would, his demise, and uh, he, it wouldn't be a great thing when he would be buried. It would rather be uh, something of disdain and something detestable, even in his death. And we know that Jeremiah, uh, Jehoiakim, excuse, excuse me, was, um, he was also an evil man. Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 20, says this about him. It says, now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. And we don't know who this man, um, actually we do know his name. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of something else. Prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, notice, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim, the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and he fled and he went to Egypt. And then Jehoiakim, excuse me, the king, sent men to Egypt El Nathan, the son of Achbor, and other men went with him to Egypt, and they brought Urijah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim, the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. So Jehoiakim was a, an evil man. Uh, we, we, we read that, but this is one instance, one thing that he did, and it really, uh, God wasn't going to let him get away with this innocent blood that he had shed as well. Jeremiah being a prophet himself. You know, he, he, he talks about this. So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Just another way of saying he finally died and he uh, was buried with his fathers. And then Jehoiachin, notice, his son reigned in his place. So Jehoiakim passed away, and then his son, Jehoiachin, would reign for three months. And we actually have the dates that this man reigned pretty precisely. December 9th of 598 B.C. to March 16th, 597 B.C., three months. That's all he reigned. 
In verse 7 in our text, it says, And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So all of that area in what you and I would call Israel uh, that became his domain. And now Egypt, having that suffering that awful battle up in Carchemish in 612 B.C., they were like a whipped dog, and they just went back to their land, and they never came out of their cage again because they realized that they were no longer, um, in, the, in the world scene, they were nothing anymore. Babylon was the, the, the force to be reckoned with, if you will. And so, verse 8 in our text tonight says, and this is, we're back in 2 Kings 24, verse 8 says, Jehoiachin, notice, was 18 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. Now, if you write in the margin of your Bible this reference, uh, you might want to write it because I want to share something with you really quick. Uh, write Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36, verse 9. Second Chronicles 36, verse 9. The reason I have you do that is because in Second Chronicles 36, verse 9, it says this concerning Jehoiachin, that he was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days and did evil in the sight of the Lord. So which one is correct? There's obviously a, a scribal error here, right? So 2 Kings 24, verse 8 tells us that it was 18 years. And by the way, there's many Hebrew manuscripts as well as the Septuagint that uh, say that it was 18 years, not eight years. And also, in addition to that, if you're looking at 2 Kings 24, look down at verse 15. Look down at verse 15, because when Nebuchadnezzar would carry Jehoiachin and his family off to Babylon, it also carried away his wives. So an 8-year-old is not going to have wives. <laughs> uh, but an 18-year-old, yes. Okay. So the correct thing here is he's 18 when he came into his reign. In Jehoiachin, he had, he had a couple of different names. So if you see names like Coniah or Jeconiah, these names are uh, one with Jehoiachin. They mean the same thing. So back in our text in verse 9, it says, So Jehoiachin, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. See, nobody's doing any good anymore. Uh, after Josiah, it was just a constant nosedive. And, and you know, there's something about that. <laughs> You know, just pray for our country because we need somebody to stand in the gap. You know, and I'm not necessarily speaking of some political figure. You know, may the church stand in the gap. May we rise up and affect our community. May people realize, hey, I didn't know these people really were much of anything. But while they're praying and things are happening and they're a real force to be reckoned with. Now, I don't think that the, the, the church is going to win the world over. I don't think that. And I don't think biblically that's accurate either. But I do think that we can rise at this time in our history, and we should, being a light, doing what God has told us to do. Again, I think that's something that we should do. And I really would ask you to pray about that. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Help me not to just get lazy. And if you're like me, it's so easy, isn't it? Especially after the couple years that we've gone through. You know, you've been through this horrific thing that just turned the country upside down. And um, sometimes, you know, if you're like me, you're just like, oh, I just want to catch my breath after two, two and a half years of nonsense and weirdness. But now is our time. The church, it's our time. It's our time. But not for these folks. They were just continually going down. He did evil. Jehoiachin did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants were besieging it. And then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. So we know Nebuchadnezzar, 
He reigned from 605 to 562 B.C., so if we do just a little math, the eighth year of his reign would be 597 B.C. That's when this was happening. So verse 13, And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. As the Lord had said. When did the Lord say that? All right, get your pen out and write these. Write this in the margin of your Bible, this reference. First, one, first Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. 1 Kings 9, verse 6. What does it say? Remember, God appeared to Solomon twice, and the second time God appeared to him, God said this to him in verse 6. He says, But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, Solomon, because this is the beginning of Solomon's reign, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but you go and you serve other gods and worship them. Did that happen? Yes, even Solomon did that in the latter part of his life, and he repented. But even he did it. And then many of his fathers going forward in time would do the same thing. And again, only just a few would, be, would rise above the crust and be really great reformer kings. People like Hezekiah and Josiah. And then he goes on, he says, If you do these things... Um, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but you go and you serve other gods and worship them. And here's the condition. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house, and he's speaking of the temple, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And then they will answer, because they, the people of Israel, the people of Judah in Jerusalem, they, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt. And they've embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. So that is exactly, at least, the thing that is spoken of here in verse 13 in our text. That the king of Babylon would come and just take everything away. And God told them ahead of times. And also, verse 14, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem. And all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. Notice he didn't take uh, the, the, the anybody. If you're a king and you are coming in and bringing a people into captivity, who are you going to grab? The ones that might present problems? The ones that you deem worthless? No, you're going to grab the creme de la creme. You're going to grab the, the best artisans, the guys who know how to deal with silver and gold and bronze. And these guys are really great at what they do. And let me tell you, the Jewish people, history proves that, they make, that they've made some of the best bankers They've made some of the best musicians, and God has done this through them. They've been some of the best, um, you name it, uh, accountants, um, artists, you name it, physicians, doctors, lawyers, they've, they've been among the best. And that's who the enemy takes, takes the best. You know, I think about the enemy today. He's taking our kids. If you're a parent or you still have young kids in your house, you'll know the battle that is raging. I've certainly noticed it with my daughter, and I've seen it in others. The devil, he, he's coming after the very best. He doesn't want the old. He doesn't want those who have spent their life and they're, you know, they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and he'll come after you too, but what he really wants, what he really wants is the kids. The ones that have the life in front of them, all the vitality, all of the, they're, they're in their prime, that's who he's going after. 
And at that time, now I believe Nebuchadnezzar, based on Daniel chapter 4, I believe he's in glory because Daniel's, uh, Daniel's witness to Nebuchadnezzar was such that Nebuchadnezzar was so enamored by Daniel, this fine, awesome young man, and he served the king well. He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't worshiping false gods, Daniel, no, but he served Nebuchadnezzar faithfully, and he knew he could trust Daniel, and that's why he promoted him, and that's why the kings after him promoted him, because there was an excellent spirit in him. And it was because of that man that Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, is in glory. But before he got saved, before he gave his heart to to God, to Christ, Nebuchadnezzar was controlled by the devil. Yes, the devil. And he didn't want the weaklings. He didn't want the things that nobody wanted. No, he wanted the best. And the devil today, he wants the best of your kids. He wants your grandkids. And he's going after them through all the social media. He's going after them through all the movies, all of the magazines, all of the music. It's so putrid and putrefying and and, and filthy. There's very little left that is clean and pure and holy anymore. And the devil is doing a grand job. But don't give up, Christian. Love your kids. Work with them. Talk to them. Your kids and your grandkids. Don't give up. You can't afford to give up. You've got to stay in the fight. You can't be and just roll over and die. No. Don't think that, it, well, it's too late now. Hey, you know what? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. You get on your knees, you start praying, and you start talking to your kids. And is it going to be easy? No. Are they going to resist it? Yes, they are. Love them, love them, work with them, and listen to them. Listen to them and love them, and you will gain the right to speak to them and place restrictions where you need to place restrictions. Do you let your son or your daughter or your grandchild, do you let them have an iPhone or or an Android device just unfettered and just let them do whatever they want, unfettered? If you do, you (laughs) you really need to think about that very clearly. The devil is going after your kids. We need to pray. The church in America needs to pray for the very valuable people. We're all valuable in God's eyes, don't get me wrong, but those kids, those grandkids are very precious to God. It's never too late, and don't give up. Try, try, and pray, and try some more. Don't give up. Notice, and he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon... Oh, I'm sorry, i got to back up to verse 14. So he carried into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar, all Jerusalem, all the captains, all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except what? The poorest people of the land. The people that nobody wanted. But does God love them? Of course he does. Those are sometimes the most valuable people. But yet, the world chooses the creme de la creme because they want to be served. And God says, well, I can choose... The, one, the, the, the things, the people that nobody wants, they can serve me and do a much better job. And I love that about God and his heart. Notice, and all the valiant men as well, 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war. These, the king of Babylon, brought captive to Babylon. And I don't know if you knew this, but there were three different deportments of Jews from Babylon. Write this reference down next to this verse. It's Jeremiah 52 verses 28 through 30. This is important. Write it down because there were three different deportments. See, when Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem around 606 BC, they began to lay a siege to the city, trying to starve them out. They didn't go in there and just wipe everybody out. They surrounded the city with embankments and they tried to starve them out. But they had a, they had a river going through, the Gahon Spring. So they had plenty of water and they had plenty of food for a season. And they did that for 20 years. <laughs> they laid siege to Jerusalem for 20 years. And within that 20-year time frame, yes, the, some Jews, they were able to get out of the city. And so they had three different deportments of Jews. Jeremiah 52, 28 tells us, and let me read it to you. These are the people. In fact, I'd encourage you to read all of chapter 52. We're going to be looking at it next week. But these are the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive in the seventh year 
of, we're talking about of, of, Bab, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. In his seventh year, which is around 598, 597 B.C., 3,023 Jews. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, so now we're looking at approximately 587 to 586 B.C., right around the time that they would actually set fire to Jerusalem, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. And then in the 30 uh, 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, and so we're looking at 583 to 582 BC, after they had already destroyed the temple, they went back and got even more people. It says that Nebuzarad and the captain of the guard carried away captive of the Jews 745 persons. All the persons total were 4,600. So these are the ones that were taken captive. Three different installments, little by little, putting a, a siege around them for 20 years and three departments of Jews. And did you know that Ezekiel was one of those captives? Ezekiel was taken captive from Jeru Judah and taken to Babylon, and that's where he wrote his prophecy. That's where he wrote the book of Ezekiel. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 1, let me just read the first three verses. It says, he says, Now it came to pass... In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river, river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God, on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So, he was taken captive, and so was Daniel. I mean, we, we'll look, um, I think we already looked at Daniel, and he told us that he was taken captive during that time frame. Probably the very first deportment, perhaps. Or when they first laid siege, he grabbed the best of the land. There might have been arguably four different deportments, and, and, and Jeremiah lays out three of them, and there may have been one prior to the one I spoke of, firstly, but that remains to, you know... Uh, I'll just leave it there. Um, so anyway, verse 17, back in our text, and we're coming to the end here. It says, Then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So one thing you have to remember is Josiah had four sons. So think of Josiah here, and then he had four sons. There's one son called Johanan, which we know nothing about. The Bible doesn't really speak much of him at all, very little. We don't know anything. But then he, uh, Josiah had Jehoiahaz, whose name was Shalom in other scriptures. Then he had Jehoiakim, and then Zedekiah. And that's who we're speaking of right now. His name was Mataniah. But Jehoiakim, here in the center, we had his son, was Jehoiachin, and, um, and that was um, Jehoiakim's son was Jehoiachin. <laughs> That's kind of funny. It almost sounds like a, like, a, like a Chinese dish or something. What will you have tonight? I'll have Jehoiachin soup, you know. <laughs> you know so, um, so the king of Babylon... He puts Zedekiah on the throne now. And he's really nothing more than a puppet. Vassal puppet is really all he is. And it says in verse 18, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years. Again, 11 years. Do you, do you see something similar about this? If you looked at the reign of, you know, like of, uh, when I talked about Jehoiahaz, the, the, first, or the son of Josiah, he reigned for three months. His, his brother next to him, Jehoiakim, he reigned for 11 years. Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, he reigned for three months. And now finally, Zedekiah, the other son of Josiah, he reigns for 11 years. So you're looking at about 22 years, 22 and a half years from when Josiah died. And it's not a pretty sight either. 22 years of just, just being destroyed. Zedekiah was, verse 18, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, again, not Jeremiah the prophet. And notice, he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done, according to all that his brother had done. 
For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem. Because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. And then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And I want to read to you, and then we're going to finish up for tonight, okay? I want you to go to one place and turn there, if you would, please, uh, to Jeremiah chapter 52. Next week, we're going to be looking at this a little bit more, but I just want to give you a, a foretaste of uh, not only finishing up uh, Zedekiah's life, but also giving you a little bit of a hint of how we're going to finish up next week. And then the following week, we'll get right into Chronicles. And we'll move a lot quicker when we get to Chronicles, because it's really a recap of everything we've looked at in First and Second Kings. But it will look specifically at the kings of Judah. And it'll be, um, there'll be some more information there, but we won't move as uh, slow as we have in First and Second Kings. So look with me at Jeremiah 52. So it gives us a little more information here. And it says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years. Because now we're going to find out how Zedekiah finally died and, and what happened to him. Because if we were relying upon Second uh, Chronicles or Second Kings 24, where we're at now, you wouldn't know this. But Jeremiah gives us this information about what happened to Zedekiah. And you can see how he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And this is how he did it. And it's recorded for us here in Jeremiah 52. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, and certainly he did, according to all that Jehoiakim, his brother, had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out from his presence. And then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. That sounds almost exactly like what we just read in Second Kings, right? But now it goes on. Now it came to pass. Here's new stuff, new information. Verse 4. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. And that's what they would do. Again, in those times, a lot of times, they wouldn't just go in and kill the people and just take over. It's, it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of warfare, and a lot of their own men are going to die too. And when a city is like that, and if they can surround them and starve them out, even if it takes years to do it, and especially if it's a big city, and if, especially if it's a walled city, they'll just wait. They'll just wait. They'll camp out there and build, a, build their tents and put out their RVs and plug into the you know, electric sockets and they'll just sit out there and have campfires and wait for the, and just keep an eye on things. And, and when they come out, they'll kill them. And if they don't come out, they're eventually going to run out of food. We're going to run out of water. So that's what they did. They waited. They built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So we're talking 11 years they were sitting out there in the field laying a siege against Jerusalem and probably getting very tired of it. Think about these men who have families at home. These Chaldeans, these Babylonians. They've been there for 11 years. Who knows, maybe they sent shifts back to, you know, and they had a you know, 30, 60, 90 day you know, where they would spend, you know, who knows what they did. But they spent 11 years until the 11th year of King Zedekiah, now notice this, by the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the land that there was no food for the people in the land. Yes, this is exactly what they wanted to happen. And did you know that the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, it prophesied of these very conditions that they are going through. And God would do it again in 70 AD. When Rome would surround, surround Jerusalem in 70 AD. Same kind of thing. They would, they would run out of food. They had water. The Gahon Spring was thankfully running, but they ran out of food, and you can only go without food for so long. And they began to eat. Mothers would eat their children. They would have their children, and instead of raising the child, they would boil them and eat them. And that was, that's horrifying. But that's exactly what God had told them back in Deuteronomy that would be the consequence. Things would get so bad that they would do this, and they did indeed do it. 
So by the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night. Notice, they did this at night. They, they tore through the wall. They wouldn't go through the gates, because obviously those things are being watched and monitored and surveilled. But they, they tear a hole in the brick wall somewhere of the, of the wall of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the men of war go out. They flee and went out of the city at night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, a very specific location, even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around. And they went by way of the plain. And, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. So Zedekiah and a group of armed men somehow got out through, you know, and, and, they, and they took off probably through uh, going down toward maybe Masada or down in that area, trying to escape, go down the Jordan Valley, a lot of holes of rocks you can hide in, a very great hiding place if you're trying to run from the authorities, running from the FBI, etc. <laughs> I threw that in just for fun, aren't you glad? <sighs> Don't get me started. So anyway, so they took the king and they brought him up to the king of, uh, I'm sorry, the army of the Chaldeans, they pursued the king. They overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, which is exactly where I was telling you about. And um, what they would do is they would, they, would, they would go out of the city and they'd somehow avoid the, 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 the guard that was out there, maybe caught them when they were sleeping or whatever, or being lazy. Because after, after all, 11 years have gone by, nothing's happening. So I imagine those guys, after a while, are just sitting out there playing cards, you know, <laughs> playing chess or something. And you got a couple guys who... You know, sneaking by and another couple, and they don't even realize it. So they overtake him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him, speaking of Zedekiah. So they took the king, Zedekiah that is, and brought him up to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon at that time was in Riblah, up north yet. So all this army is down here around Jerusalem, but he's way up north in Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he pronounced judgment on him. And then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He killed all the princes of Judah in Riblah, and he also put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon, bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. So the very last thing the king Zedekiah saw where it was his sons being assassinated in front of him. And then they took probably uh, pokers with uh, heated at the end of them and, and held him down. And, and the, I know this is kind of disgusting, but I am a man after all. So they would put, you know, and that's how they would put out his eyes. And he couldn't see the last thing he saw. And so next week, we're going to be looking at the fall of Jerusalem. We finally come to it. <laughs> this is like the end of it all. before they be led captive. But aren't you glad again that God, even amidst all of that horrible stuff, God is a God of grace and a God of love, but he's also very severe when it comes to truth. And we need to obey him. I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. And I think even, uh, let me just check one thing here, 27 and 28, and then compare these things, these blessings and cursings that God told Israel before they even came into the promised land. Yes, uh, 28 and uh, 29. Yeah, read, read, read 28. Actually, 27, 28, and 29. And then read those three chapters together. And then juxtapose it with what we're looking at now. And God told them in advance. And God tells us in advance. I like that because I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Do you have to worry about tomorrow? I mean, we really know the big picture, don't we, folks? Can you imagine not knowing what's coming? To me, that's what I love about studying the Word of God is we have every confidence in the Lord. We don't need to worry. Is it going to be a... a a smooth thing that we're going to go through? Is it going to be easy? No, I don't think it's going to be easy. Maybe we'll have a, a small reprieves. I don't, I don't really know, but don't worry because God has it covered and he's got us in his hands. 
and he wants to use us. Will you be, allow yourself to be used by Almighty God in these days? Remember when he said to Esther, I think it was Mordecai or the Jews, they said to Esther, perhaps you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. When we're about ready to die, when, we're about, when we're, everything is just about ready, ready to be scrubbed out and, and, and it's going to get really ugly, perhaps you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I have to ask myself and all of you, perhaps we've come, we were born at this time when we were born and God knew when we would be born and he knew what was going to happen in our time. Perhaps we've come to such a time as this. So pray about that and let the Lord encourage you. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this history, Lord. There's so much practical about it, even though it's very difficult. Lord, for myself, as I, I read this and I reflect on my own country, Lord, it brings me to tears. It has. It's broken me in half. And Lord, I pray that you would just refuel us, that you would revive the church in America. Revive me, God. Change my life, change my heart, and change the life and the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Lord, would you do that work? Would you do something now that you haven't done in a long time? Would you do something really awesome and completely blow us away, Lord? Use us. We don't ask you to use somebody else, but use us, would you please, and help us to be willing and available just to walk in love and in grace and allow you to do the work. It's that simple. Have your way with us tonight, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would love them so much tonight that they would just sense your presence with them and that they would know that they are loved beyond the shadow of a doubt. Lord, that you have got them and you've got me. And Lord, you've got us. You have us, Lord. Renew and revive us again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.